When I come home from work, I'm fiending for an eight ball. I got crack on my mind, I'm hearing cocaine call. Telling me to beep the dealer to deliver me stuff. Keep it a secret from my wife, cause she thinks I don't use drugs. There I was, bleeding from my nose, and damn, I couldn't breathe. But I'm still thinking about the next gram, it's Friday night. I'm not trying to leave my crib, dude, I kill myself. While the Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast. Episode 23. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas, and on this episode, we will be taking a look at two awesome movies that uh, I think everyone should be watching. There's not a particular theme for this episode. It's just uh, just some good quality movies that I'd like to... I'd like to share with you, the listener, my dear listener friends. Okay. Well, the two movies I'm going to take a look at today is 2017's Good Time and 2005's Caché. So let's get into it. Let's get into it now, shall we? Before I do... Take a little hit off my whiskey. Oh, yeah. That's good. Okay, so. First film, Good Time. From 2017, directed by Benny and Josh Safdie. Safdie Brothers, also known for um, Uncut Gems. I think they're probably a little bit more well-known for that particular film from 2019, the Adam Sandler film. And Good Time, for all you A24 fans out there. I heard some guy in a theater gasp like a fucking, like a hyperactive little girl, and I wanted to, throw my fucking drink at the side of his face. <laughs> I don't even know why it upset me. There was no reason for it to set. Probably because he was talking when the movie was starting. That's probably why. It was partially that and partially just the way he said it. What he said was, uh, uh, it was, I don't even remember what film it was, but I was sitting, I was watching him, watching the movie. Movie's starting. And the A24 logo comes on the screen. And I hear this. <laughs> so the guy's sitting in the aisle, uh, the row in front of me, kind of off to my right. So I can kind of see the the side of the left side of his face. And I just hear him uh, turn to whoever's date was. And he's, <laughs> he said, it's an A24 film. It's an A24 film. Just the way he said it, I wanted to reach over and grab his fucking ear and pull it off of the side of his head and throw his bloody ear at the screen so that everyone can see what happens if you fucking scream some stupid shit in my presence. <laughs> he wasn't even screaming. He was like, like loud whispering. Is there anything worse than loud whispering? This, this is whispering. Okay. 
That's the that's the difference. This is regular speaking voice. This this is whispering. What he should have said was, he should have turned to his date and said, "This is an A twenty four film." Also, I cut a hole in the bottom of the popcorn bucket, and now you can reach in and grab my penis. That's what he should have said. That's what you're supposed to say to your date when you go to the beautiful Alamo Draft House, one of many locations here in Austin, Texas. But instead he did loud whispering, which sounds like, It's an A24 film. Anyways, um, Good Time, 2017, starring... The new Batman, the soon-to-be new Batman, Robert Pattinson. Now, Robert Pattinson has come a very long way since his Twilight movies. And um, I like the direction he's going. And, and and for those of you who are not not quite on the Pattinson train yet, I'm telling you, you need to get on it now because good time. Like, you forget you're even looking at Robert Pattinson's face. That's how good he is in this movie. And believe me, the whole movie's in close-up. Everything's in close-up. There's a few really nice, long-distance wide shots, but everything else is just close-up, close-up, close-up. So you just stare at Robert Pattinson's face for two hours, but fuck, like, you, you would never... You would think he's just some fucking guy, some fucking white trash dude from fucking New York, you know. So, good times. Well, you have, uh, it starts with two brothers. Nick Nikas, played by one of the directors, Benny Safdie, and he does a very good job. And he is in a therapy session, Okay. So the character of Nick, played by Benny Safdie, he has some kind of learning disability, some sort of mental handicap. And uh, along with not one but two hearing aids. So he's he's a young dude with he's got some he's got some problems and he's he's at some type of therapy session. It's not too specific what this therapy session is or what kind of counseling or what exactly this is. But uh, the guy who's his therapist, I don't don't know, he kind of comes off like an annoying, creepy asshole. (laughs) That's probably not fair because just based on his dialogue, like he seems like a pretty nice old fella who's trying to help out a young guy who has some, He's got some mental uh, disability, you know. So, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with helping people who have mental disabilities. And in the middle of this session, uh, enter Connie Nikas, played by Robert Pattinson. Yes, he has a girl's name, Connie. Robert Pattinson uh, barges into the room, and he's Connie Nikas. He's... He's uh, Nick Nikas's brother, and he barges into Nick's therapy session and whisks him away. 
So you you realize right, right away that and and the safety brothers are really fucking good at establishing what is going on in any given scene very quickly. There's not a ton of they can just their dialogue is is written such that they can convey everything that's going on, everything that you need to know in a very small window of time and very few lines need to be said. Like you can just kind of feel out what the situation is and completely understand. And Connie comes in and tells Nick like sessions over, get up, we're leaving. And, uh, this, this is, this is not uh, approved of by the therapist guy, but Connie doesn't seem to care what the therapist thinks. So he whisks Nick away, and there's a very uh, there's a very brief elevator scene where they're they're leaving the building where Nick's session took place, and he tells. Tells Nick, like, you know, you don't need these people. Like, we, you know, we have to stick together. All we need is each other. These people don't love you. I love you. That whole thing. So you, you, you feel like Connie's intentions, even though he has sort of a rough exterior, you, you, you feel that his love and concern for his brother is genuine. And maybe Nick is being helped by these these people, these sessions he goes to. Perhaps they are beneficial for Nick, but it doesn't seem like Connie agrees with it. He doesn't agree that he feels that maybe the more he uh, Nick has time with these people, the less influence he'll hold over his brother and that's that really fleshed itself out as the movie goes on so (laughs) after the whole therapy session scene we immediately jump to nick and connie going to rob a bank in the best black dude masks ever made like mission impossible level masks. They're dressed up as two black dudes who look like they just got done with a sanitation job or construction job or whatever. And they go um, to this bank and they, Needs $65,000. That's the note that Connie hands to the teller. Needs $65,000. Don't set, don't trigger any alarms. Don't make a scene. Put all the money in this bag provided. Okay, so the teller puts uh, the contents of her drawer in the bag, gives it to him. Connie looks at it. He's like this... And he, like he writes a note back to her and this isn't enough needs 65,000 and then he hands her the note and then she writes on the note 
this is all I can give you. It's like bank policy. I can't give you any more than this. And then Connie writes on the, in the note, we are armed, get the rest of the money. So the bank teller goes in the back, presumably into where the vault is. She's gone for a few moments, returns with the rest of the money, shows them the rest of the money. They take the money, they leave. When they leave the bank, you really feel that they're, are are these guys professional bank robbers? Like, that was a pretty, I mean, that would seem like a pretty professional job. They were wearing disguises that they would never, they, they could never be recognized. You know, they didn't even speak to the teller. So there's no possible way to identify them in any way. You know, they, they leave the bank. They dip into an uh, alleyway. They they get rid of their disguises. They change clothes. And they, you know, zigzag through a neighborhood and get into a, uh, get into a car. So they had a... They had a driver that was set to pick them up. Now, to what extent the driver is involved, we we never really know. But it's just some uh, older, middle-aged dude driving, like, a Lincoln Continental type of car. He looks like, you know, someone who's, like, a driver. Just, uh, you know, looks like a personal driver for somebody. So... Um, there's bits and pieces of dialogue that kind of maybe lead you one way, but completely pivot and go another direction. And one of those instances is during when they're getting out of their disguises and they go to meet up with the getaway driver. Nick uh, expresses, I'm sorry, Connie expresses to Nick that his, he's, He's very happy that, and he's very happy and proud of Nick for going and doing this bank robbery job with him and him being so strong and brave and telling him that he's like, I couldn't have done it without you. And we're going to take this money and we're going to go to, uh, we're going to head to Virginia. So, So these guys get into the getaway vehicle. You can hear police sirens and shit in the background. And they have seemingly got away. They got away with it. They they pulled off the perfect crime. And Connie hands the backpack that their money is in. And then you hear the bag make a beeping noise. Uh-oh. Makes a beeping noise. And then all of a sudden, a violent, purplish fuchsia mist begins to emit from the backpack and fills the car with this fuchsia dye that dyes everyone in the car. And it, it, it obscures the view from, for the driver. And the driver loses control of the car and smashes into another car. Now, we don't know if the driver's dead 
or if he's just unconscious, but it's the whole thing where he's, you know, car is smashed, his head's on the steering wheel, horn is just honking. By the way, for those of you who have never been in any car accidents, when you hear, like, like in a movie when a car accident happens and you just hear, like, the sound of the horn just, like, someone's just laying on the horn, uh, that's not necessarily because somebody's laying on the horn unconscious with their head busted open all over the steering wheel like that that's like a weird thing that happens if you get into you know a head-on collision with something I've seen it happen a few times uh <laughs> no i was driving with some friends i was driving with some friends on this levee in the middle of the night and our buddy's car in front of us flew off the road and took a nosedive into this watermelon patch. So it was a good, I don't know, it was a good five, six feet just straight off the edge of this levee and then just nosedived into the, uh, into the pumpkin patch. And we all stopped, got out of the car, and all we can see is the car is stuck. There's fucking smoke coming out of the hood and shit, and the horn is just blaring. So we go over there, we open all the doors, and the driver is, he just gets out, and the horn is still going. It's just, just, ah, we couldn't get the fucking horn to stop, we were trying to get it to stop. Because we didn't want to alert, like, the police. We didn't want to alert any fucking farmers in that area uh, who will probably come out and shoot you if you're on their fucking land. So, um, and everyone in the back seat was all fucked up. Everyone's fucking, everyone was all bleeding and shit. And we opened up the hood and we just start, we started basically trying to rip out the battery cables to get the fucking horn to stop. And, uh. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I got way off track there. Um, so the car fills up with this, uh, this dye, this exploding, uh, colorful dye pack that was obviously placed into the bag of money at the bank, and drivers unconscious. Connie and Nick get out of the car, and they're just covered from head to toe in this like fuchsia colored dye. And the reason why they put dye packs in uh, bags of money during bank robberies is it accomplishes two things. One, it will dye the actual bank robber's skin, whatever color the dye happens to be. So it makes them, easy to find and two it will dye the money from the bank and once the money is has this dial over it it's essentially useless like you can't spend it so yeah Nick and Connie uh, they run so I think a subway the subway sandwich shop and they run into the bathroom 
and they stripped all their clothes off and they have another pair of clothes underneath the clothes that they're wearing. So they get rid of the dirty clothes. Connie hides the money, the backpack of money in the, like, in like the ceiling, there's like those removable ceiling tiles and he stuffs the bag up in there and they wash their faces. Cause their faces have this fucking, there are, their faces are dyed pink. <laughs> so they wash all that shit off and then they, they, they leave, you know, they're they're They go walking down the street and getting the fuck out of there basically to, you know, waiting for shit to die down. So they can come back, you know, presumably to get, their money. But cops roll up on them and they panic and they start running. A foot chase ensues and Nick ends up running through a uh, automatic door glass window and gets caught. Nick gets caught and ends up thrown in, uh, in Rikers Island which is this sort of like shitty horrible jail in New York. <laughs> it's and and it's looks pretty fucking awful in the movie. It's just a line of cells. Every cell would probably hold I don't know 6 8 people comfortably, but each cell has like 20 plus guys in it. And uh, people are fighting, and it's a fucking, it's a whole shit show. And Nick gets thrown into one of these cells, and a fight breaks out between two random prisoners, and guards uh, run over and spray the whole inside of the cell with uh, with mace. That's how Connie's all cut up and beat to shit, and he's fucking... As soon as he gets into the cell, he's already being fucking maced along with everyone else in the fucking cell. So it's the movie's very chaotic in that way. These scenes just sort of it's one scene after the other of just chaos, and it's it's very it's very nerve wracking. So Nick is in a bad place, and giving his uh, his um, disability, it's it's not it's not looking good for Nick. So uh, Connie uh, tries using the bank robbery money to go bail out Nick, but there, there's a problem. A bunch of the money is, um, it's got dye on it. And the bail bondsman won't accept a, a chunk of the money. He's basically counts all the money and tells Connie, look, you're $10,000 short. So, enter the character of Corey, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. She's Connie's girlfriend slash sugar mama. And she's noticeably older than Connie. And after my crack team of researchers here at Skeleton Factory... Uh, they tell me that Robert Pattinson is 35 years old and Jennifer Jason Lee is 60 years old. I thought that was a very nice touch because, of course, Connie wouldn't have 
it would seem that he'd have some like girlfriend that he's you know using for whatever but a younger girlfriend seems a little too obvious having an older a much older girlfriend that was a nice touch and because it's one another one of those things that speaks volumes about the Connie character he's a master manipulator and that's throughout the entire movie it's he he's really good at manipulating people to getting what he wants and usually what he wants is you know involves crime <laughs> like the the it's it, it's a means to an end but the problem is connie's not the most amazing career criminal ever so the character of Corey is is a woman who's clearly living off her family's money. She doesn't seem to have any kind of... It seems like she doesn't have control over her own finances. You know, it's, it's like she was born into money. Um, an independent woman who's holding shit down wouldn't put up with someone like Connie's shit. So Connie convinces Corey to put up a couple thousand dollars for Nick's bail. He also lies to her uh, about why he even got arrested. Try to say that <laughs> Nick's supposed they they said Nick did something wrong, but he didn't do anything wrong, and he's. It's a big misunderstanding. You shouldn't even be in jail right now. We just need a couple thousand dollars and we can get him out. And Corey's like, okay, I guess that's fine. And Connie's like, yeah, we can just use your mom's credit card. It's fine. It's a couple thousand dollars. I'll pay you back. And she's hesitant, but Corey is, uh, I believe the term, she's uh, digmatized. It's like hypnotized. But you're hypnotized by Connie's swinging dick. That's probably what's going on with her. She is what's referred to as addicted to what the dick did. Okay. So Corey's mom funds her life and they get to the the bell the bell bond place. And the bell bonds been like, Yeah, it's ten thousand dollars. You got the money? And she's, Corey's like, Corey's like, no one said anything about $10,000. And Connie's like, well, come on, you're already here. We might as well just, like, let's run your mom's card. Let's get the money to get Nick out of jail. It's for a good cause. I'll get the money right back to you once he's out, yada, yada, yada. So Corey's mom, Corey's mom's credit card gets declined as soon as they run it now <laughs> so now Connie must come up with the money himself so he already tried to use his quote unquote girlfriend to uh, get Nick out of out of jail and it's just not going to happen now so meanwhile now that Connie um, 
Now that Connie can't get the money, he doesn't have all the money. He's ten grand short, can't get the money to get Nick out of jail. So we we cut to Nick in in jail, and he ends up getting beaten up uh, very badly, and sent to the hospital. And yes, prisoners in jail and in prisons tend to go to regular civilian hospitals, in case you weren't aware of this. My mother, who's been a nurse her entire life, lives in a part of Northern California where the hospital she works at is sort of in this perfect location where all of the worst prisons in Northern California are um, relatively close by. So she gets prisoners from Folsom Prison, Pelican Bay, San Quentin, just sort of like the worst of the worst California prisons. And she's told me, you know, it's like sometimes hospitals full and there's people who need to get in, but they can't get in because there's some prisoner taking up a bed, some murderer or rapist who's doing multiple life sentences, who's chained who is uh, chained to a bed, who is restrained to a bed receiving medical care at the cost of the taxpayers, by the way. So, yes, uh, a, a lot of time. And also prison prisons don't have the best medical care, in case you're wondering. So, so Nikki gets horribly beaten up and sent to the hospital. And Connie gets... Connie gets wind of this. He tries to get a hold, tries to get a uh, a hold of Nick, and they inform him at the jail that he has been sent to the hospital. They can't tell him why, but he, he that's all they can tell him is that he was sent to the hospital. Um. By the way, the there is. Great music in this movie, by the way. The the good times, um, good times. Haha, <laughs> that's a TV show. Good time. The good times score is provided by a guy named Daniel Lopatin. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He's better known as One O Tricks Point Never. That's the name of his one man band. He's also done the score to the Safety Brothers 2019 film Uncut Gems. And playing in the end credits of Good Time is a collaboration, a collaboration song between uh, One O Tricks Point Never, Daniel Lopatin, and Iggy Pop. The track is titled The Pure and the Damned. And the Safdie brothers recorded a music video for the song. And it's weird and 
It has Benny Safdie reprising his role as Nick Nikas and Robert Pattinson reprising his role as Connie Nikas. And the, the, it's a very dark, strange music video. And, and, and Iggy Pop is in it, but he's like this weird animated caricature of him. It's like you can tell that the caricature is, is him, but it's um <laughs> I don't know. The video the video is cool. It's weird and watching the video I kinda wish that the video itself was a TV show that was on every day. But uh, the song "The Pure and the Damned" play over the closing credits of the film, and and it's a kind of a slow. It has it's like sad, but kind of a happy, mellow, kind of uh, tinkling piano type song. It's it's it was a nice way to end the movie. On top of having great music for the movie, everyone. And <laughs> I like how this movie was cast. Like everyone in this movie is really good, and like everyone, and everyone just looks mangled and greasy and oily. Everyone has bad skin, and uh, like for instance, when Connie goes to the bail bondsman. The actual bell bondsman guy that he talks to, like, because he goes to the bell bondsman play and he's like talking to like the head dude in his office. So that that main guy, according to the Safety brothers, that guy was an actual bell bondsman. They originally cast a what they referred to as a like a well known Hollywood actor. They didn't. They did not disclose who that actor was, but for one reason or another, the actor couldn't make it to to the set. So, and the set was great. The set was an actual like bail bond office. It was an actual business, so everything felt real. You know, the lighting was that of a fluorescent light tube office. So. <laughs> So they got the actual bell bondsman guy to act in the role of the bell bondsman. And the guy's great too. And he's, he just, he feels real. You know what I mean? He's, he's not some pretty Hollywood actor. Um, it was a real early army type of situation, but anyways, yeah, let's jump to, uh, let's jump to uh, the part where, uh, well, now that, so Connie realizes that he's not going to be able to get the money to get Nick out, at least tonight. So jump to Connie sneaking Nick out of the hospital. <laughs> so Connie goes to the hospital, finds out what floor they keep the prisoners in, and he, is, uh, he finds... Nick's room that's guarded by a police officer and waits for the officer to leave. He goes in. Uh, Nick is unconscious. His face is heavily bandaged and he's heavily drugged and can't walk. Uh, 
So <laughs> Connie comes in the room, throws Nick into a wheelchair, and wheels him out of the hospital. Now there's like this whole the whole scene of Connie going to break Nick out of the hospital is another one of those scenes where it's like, oh my god, Nick must uh, Connie must be this fucking ballsy super criminal guy, you know takes chances and scene is tense. So it's, it's a level of paranoia where you, where you're, you feel like you're going to get caught along with Connie. Like you're going to get caught in the act doing this. This it's the paranoia in this film it, or just the paranoia in any film. It's tough to pull off convincingly. So Connie uh, gets Nick outside and there's like this, hospital shuttle like bus that takes people who are checking out of the hospital like gives them a ride home you know it's like a little a little shuttle it's a nice service for a hospital to do so there's a bunch of people in this little shuttle and connie has a brief chat with this nice old black lady in the shuttle and they realize that they're they're gonna need a place to kind of hold up where until Connie can kind of figure out what what's gonna be like <laughs> like what they're gonna do from here. So Connie and Nick show up at this um, the old black lady's house. Like they show up to her door, they knock on the door, and and. You have Nick in a hospital gown, in a wheelchair, and his f- entire face is bandaged. He, Connie talks his way into the lady's house, um, saying that he need, really needs to use the phone. He, it's cold outside, and he's got his brother, and his brother's <laughs> half naked in a wheelchair, unconscious, so in the middle of the night. So he's like, "We really need. I need to call... I need to make a call and get someone to come get us. Like, please let me use your phone. So she lets him in. And the lady's basically like, like, they're, basically the Connie and Nick are going to be stuck without somewhere to go for a few hours. So this, so this nice old lady is like, look, I have a spare bedroom. You and your brother can go in there and hang out, sit tight. Keep warm and until your ride can come get you. Okay? So, very nice of her. So, Nick and Connie go in. They make a few phone calls. And then they hold up in the spare bedroom until they can figure out what their next move is going to be. So, during this time, the old lady goes to bed. And her 16-year-old granddaughter is the only other person in the house. So... Grandma's going to bed, and she basically leaves her 16-year-old granddaughter in charge. Connie and Nick are in the spare bedroom. I don't I don't remember. I don't recall if it came on bef- more than one time, but there, there are, at this point, there's news reports that the authorities are on a, a manhunt for Connie. So Connie being a thinking on his feet and resourceful scumbag finds some hair bleach under the bathroom sink and bleaches his hair. Cause he, you know, you gotta, gotta, gotta do the Scott Peterson move. You know, if you're gonna, if you committed some crime and people are looking for you, 
you gotta conceal your identity the best way you can. So he bleaches his hair blonde in you know which is which is an odd thing to do in someone's house, in a stranger's house, you know. And the daughter come the granddaughter comes in at one point and she's just like What's in your hair? <laughs> she's he's like, Oh, I found some hair dye underneath your sink and I thought I'd dye my hair. She's like, You dyed your hair. And Connie's response is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a weirdo. Sorry. <laughs> and then Tyler's just like, okay. So, so there's this scene where the granddaughter and Connie are sitting on the couch watching cops. <laughs> and they're, wa- they're watching cops and, and then they just kind of start flipping through the channels and, News report comes up, and it shows Connie's face. And on the screen it says, you know, manhunt underway for this man who's a, you know, criminal on the loose sort of thing. And Connie sees this, and before before uh, the, the granddaughter can see and process what is happening on the screen, he, like, leans over and starts making out with her. The old underage on the couch fuck diversion. So obscuring her her view of the TV. <laughs> and then scoops her up in his arms and 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 off to her bedroom to engage in yet before any underage unprotected Interracial statutory raping can take place. What arose such a clatter? Connie jumped off of the 16-year-old to see what was the matter. So, the sounds of Nick waking up and screaming and throwing shit around. Because he was left, um, he was left alone in this bedroom, right? In the dark. And Connie runs in to find out that his 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 drugged up, bandaged faced brother was actually some other guy. And yeah, Connie snuck out the wrong prisoner. <laughs> so he runs in the room, and there's some guy like, "Where the fuck am I? Who the fuck are you?" You know, that whole thing. And it's pretty funny because you had all... Every time there's some scene of Connie being some sort of like masterful super criminal, it's like... It's... (laughs) It's like... It's it's undercut by... Like, he's he's a fuck up. And every time he tries to break the law, he's he's destined to uh, eventually get it wrong majorly and fuck it up somehow. So yes, Connie is not the brilliant mastermind that we may have been led to believe. You know, every time he pulls off some sort of bl- brilliant maneuver, his efforts get crushed by his incompetence as a criminal. So you know, one step forward. And two steps back for Connie, it seems to be. So, 
what do we have now? We have the 16-year-old girl, we have Connie, and we have the unconscious, uh, the formerly unconscious prisoner with a mashed-up face. And they're in a situation where Connie wants to go back to the hospital. And... You know, you're you know, you're not sure like well, maybe he can retrieve Nick out of the hospital. <laughs> maybe he can dump this guy off and pick up his brother, but and the guy initially is like, Well, just take me back to the fucking hospital because it's a whole thing where this guy he just got out of jail and then he got fucking busted again and now he's fucking back in custody, sort of thing. So they get they get to the hospital and the guys like and the place is swarming with cops, so the cops like and so the the guys like I don't fucking want to be. He's like let's get the fuck out of here. We can't be here, so they take off and they make a quick pit stop. And uh, during this pit stop, uh, you find that the uh, the guy his name is is Ray, and Ray tells a story to Connie about getting out of jail and meeting up with his old buddy who's played by the rapper Necro. If you're not familiar with Necro, his one of his songs was uh, used in the beginning of this episode. And, yeah, if you're not familiar with Necro, just look up some of his songs. <laughs> I think his stuff is great. I think his stuff is great. I think he he makes some very com- compelling music. But yeah, this guy Ray, his uh, his friend, he meets up with his friend Khalif, played by Necro. Um, and in the story, he gets out of jail, meets up with Khalif, and they go partying. They're doing drugs and they're drinking booze and they're having uh, disgusting. Dirty mattress sex <laughs> with probably underage girls who are probably prostitutes and addicted to drugs. You know, that that sort of thing. That, you know, the the I just got out of jail party package. So they're partying. They go do acid and go to this arcade. And Ray is with a buddy of his who's like an acid dealer. And they're sitting there playing fucking... They're posted up at this one arcade game and and people kind of know who he is and are going up to his, you know, whoever his fucking drug dealer, uh, Ray's drug dealer buddy was. And like, yo, I need to get some fucking acid, whatever. So they're sitting there like dealing, making money. Meanwhile, they're just tripping balls and they're shit-faced and just having a good old fucking time at this arcade. But good things don't last forever. Cops show up. Cops show up and begin chasing them. And these, Ray, the drug dealer guy, and I think some other dude, in the story that is, and the, and the cops come, they chase them and then they go hide in this like small amusement park that's nearby. And they run into this like haunted house, like ride. 
So they, they break in through the back door and then they go and they hide their drugs inside of the haunted house ride. So the whole the whole amusement park is shut down. It's closed. So they went in there to hide their shit, presumably to go fucking get it later on. So Connie hearing this story is like, so there's a bunch of drugs just sitting in this fucking haunted house amusement park, just hidden in, on this ride. And the guy's like, yeah, he's like, well, let's go fucking get it. We can go get it. We can. He's like, you know, drug dealers, we can go fucking sell the shit and we can split the money. He's like, I'm the one who fucking broke you out of the hospital to begin with. So if you want to get this money, like you got to cut me in on it. Cause otherwise like you wouldn't have escaped from the hospital on your own. So Ray's like, sure. That seems like a great idea because both these guys are morons by the way. So they're like, okay, let's go back to the amusement park. It's nighttime. It's fucking closed. I know where it is. We'll go in there we'll break in. We'll find the fucking drugs and then we'll go fucking sell the shit off. So, so they break into the park looking for the acid and security guard shows up like a, you know, just a random fucking rent a cop security guard in the park. So this like cat and mouse game starts where uh, Connie like ambushes the security guard and beats the shit out of him. <laughs> and also the security guard, the security guard is, uh, if you ever seen the, uh, the Tom Hanks movie, Captain Phillips, where he, he's like a uh, like a boat captain, and the boat gets overrun by a bunch of Somali pirates, and the main Somali pirate guy, who the guy looks like a fucking zombie, you know the guy who's like, look at me, I am the captain now. That guy, if you've ever seen that meme, um, yeah, that guy plays the security guard in this movie, and Connie uh, ambushes him, just beats the dude unconscious. And cops show up. So the park is surrounded. So Connie, being the master criminal that he is, is like, okay, somebody, probably security guard, probably contacted the police or we triggered some type of alarm. Okay. We have this unconscious guard. He's like, I'm going to change into his clothes. They don't know what the security guard looks like. I'm going to change into his clothes and I'm going to go talk to the cops and tell him like whatever. So he strips off the fucking guy's clothes, puts on his security guard outfit and Ray. Oh, by the way, they did find the drugs <laughs> and the drugs they were looking for was liquid LSD that was being stored in a plastic Sprite bottle. Okay. Can you picture this? Okay, good. So, He's like, okay, I got the security guard clothes on. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to go fucking tell the cops that this dude, the security guard, he's the one who broke into the park and I'm the security guard who found him. And Ray's like, good idea. Also, just to be safe, Ray opens up the bottle of liquid acid of LSD and pours it into the fucking unconscious security guard's mouth. 
Like enough acid. I don't know if you could die from doing acid, but if you could, this would probably be the amount that would kill you. Like he just fills the guy's mouth with fucking LSD. Uh, I mean, it's definitely probably, it's probably enough to give the guy fucking schizophrenia for the rest of his life on top of the, probably having a horrible concussion from taking such a horrible beating from Connie. So Connie goes up, uh, goes out where, cause the cops at this point have got through the gate and now they're on the grounds of the amusement park. And he just walks up to him like, Oh, Hey, thank God you're here. Um, the guy who broke into the park, he's in this haunted amusement park ride and he's like unconscious. He's, you know, um, he doesn't have any shoes on and he looks all beat up. <laughs> So the cops go in there and they're like, oh, wow, this, they figured he was probably some crackhead homeless guy who broke into the fucking park and ambulance comes and the EMTs, you know, they're like, hey, buddy, you all right? You all right? And the fucking, the security guard wakes up and is, uh, well, the idea is he wakes up and he's immediately tripping balls. He's in a fucking like this amusement park ride in the middle of the fucking night and it's a haunted house and it's like lit with black light and there's these fucking men with flashlights hovering over him. And so he's, and he just got the shit beat out of him. So he has no idea what the fuck is going on. So the guy starts freaking out and they restrain him to a gurney and whisk him away. So it seems like Connie has gotten away with the perfect crime. And the cops run into the girl because remember there was the girl. <laughs> that's why. That's why they. That's how they were getting around to begin with. The girl's grandmother had a car, and so now they're driving. So Ray, Connie, and this girl are driving around this fucking girl's grandma's fucking car. So she was. So once the cops showed up, the girl like took off on foot for some reason, and. Cops roll up on her like, hey, yo, what the fuck are you doing here? And they take her over to where Connie is because the security guard that he beat up is now getting into a fucking ambulance. But he was under the impression that the cops were under the impression that there was there were two assailants that broke into the park and uh, cops bring the girl over to Connie. He's like, is this the other person you saw break into the park? And the girl is looking at Connie, and Connie's looking at the girl, and she can blow the whistle at any moment and be, you know, snitch him out. But she didn't say anything, and Connie's like, no, no, that's not who it was. It was some dude. And they're like, okay, well, and the girl wouldn't say, like, the cops are like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here in the middle of the night? And she refused to say anything. So the cops are like, okay, we don't need this shit. We're just going to fucking... Who knows what the fuck they did with her. They, they fucking threw her in a cop car and took her away. That's for sure. So, yeah, the cops arrest <laughs> the 16-year-old girl, take her away. And Connie and Ray take the guard's uh, car because they took his wallet because they, you know, they took, you know, they took his clothes and everything. So they took his car keys and they took his wallet. So now they have the, uh, the guard's ID. So now they know where he lives. So they take his car so now they have, you know, the guy's car, they have the keys to his apartment, and they have his ID that says where he lives. So they so they go to the guy's apartment, 
you know, to to lie low for a while. You know, they took a chance going there. He could have been married, could have had a family, whatever. He did have a giant fucking dog that could have attacked him. But so they go to the guy's apartment, you know, just just to kind of lie low for a while until they could figure out what to do. Because now they got the drugs. That was the whole point. They wanted to break in the amusement park, get the fucking drugs, and then Ray would have some kind of fucking drug connection where he could fucking sell the shit off and him and Connie can make a little money. You know, they're, they're entrepreneurs. They are. So they're sitting at the, the, the guards apartment and Connie insists that Ray contacts uh necro, <laughs> uh, the character Khalif, who's like some fucking drug dealer guy. He's like he insists that he contacts him so they can get so they can get a fucking cash deal done for this bottle of acid ASAP. Because remember, Nick is still in the hospital, and he needs to get bailed out still. So you're still operating under the idea that Connie, for all of his faults and fucked upness and his you still kind of sympathize with him in a way because this whole thing is, it's kind of centered around the idea that he wants to protect his brother and he's going to do whatever he can to get his brother out of jail and keep him safe. So, you know, you, you kind of, there's kind of this fucking Stockholm syndrome thing going on where you're just kind of, you're kind of rooting for your captors here, you know, even though Connie really hasn't done anything to suggest that he's a likable character, <laughs> you know, besides having the, uh, having the dashing good looks of Robert Pattinson, there's, you know, so, um, so Necro finally shows up. His character's name is named Khalif, but I'm just going to call him Necro because, it's it's more fun to call him Necro. So Necro finally shows up and Connie insists Connie's like held up in the bedroom with the fucking security guard's vicious attack dog. So Necro is afraid to go in the fucking room because there's a goddamn fucking snarling dog in there. So he's talking to him through the door and Connie's insists on he wants fifteen thousand dollars for the sprite bottle. Of acid, which is funny because he only needed 10, but he got greedy. <laughs> he wanted an extra five. So he's like, I want $15,000 and I'll give you the fucking Sprite bottle. So, and he's using the guard's dog to sort of like hold Necro and Ray at bay outside of the bedroom. So after some brief negotiating, so basically, the agreed upon thing with Necro is finally like, okay, I'll go get $15,000 and I'll come back and you give me the fucking drugs. Just wait here. And before he leaves, you know, he's, he goes over to Ray and is like, I'm going to, I'll be, I'll be back. I need to go somewhere and get a gun. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to fucking shoot this guy. And then we're going to get the fuck out of here. So just sit tight, okay? So he whispers that to Ray. He whispers it. Okay. He he didn't 
He didn't loudly fake whisper it. He wasn't like, I'll be right back. I have to go get a gun so we can kill this guy who looks like Robert Pattinson so we can get our drugs. That's, we're, we're in an A24 movie. We're in an A24 movie. He didn't say it like that. Okay? He whispered it. I'll be right back. I'm going to go get a fucking gun and then we're going to take care of this motherfucker, all right? And Ray's like, yeah, okay, cool. That's that's how you do it. So, Connie being the master of disguise that he is, Connie changes his clothes and has no intention of waiting for Necro to come back. He changes clothes and he leaves. He takes the acid and says, fuck this, I'm leaving. And Ray tries to stop him in the hallway, but gets attacked by the dog. So they establish that since Connie's wearing the guard's clothes, when they came to the guard's house, the dog smelled his clothes and was like, oh, this is my friend. This, <laughs> I'm not going to attack him. And so when he went to leave, like Ray... Ray and Connie start wrestling in the the, the hallway because Ray's like, you're not leaving. You're going to give me the fucking drugs. And the dog runs out and fucking attacks Ray. <laughs> so uh, Connie grabs the fucking acid and, and, and runs. He takes off. But uh, he goes to leave, and once he gets outside, cops roll up. And he's quickly apprehended, but he drops the bottle of acid. So, you know, I'm sure Ray's like, cool, they're going to take him away, and then I can come back later and get the fucking acid. And uh, me and Necro can go have a fucking acid party, go find some chicks so we can fuck, or whatever they're going to do. Connie gets apprehended, thrown in the back of a cop car. And he's whisked away, but not before Ray is in the apartment still, right? So uh, cops go up to the apartment, start banging on the door. Now, they're, his apartment is probably on the, I don't know, maybe the 10th floor of this apartment building. And Ray goes to climb out the window to escape and he's on this ledge and of course he slips and he falls and he splatters on the fucking ground so no more Ray and Connie gets thrown in the back of the cop car and he's whisked away so Connie's going to jail and the movie ends with Nick sometime in the future you're not really sure when but you can tell it's some time has passed because Nick's face is all healed up. Because remember, in the beginning of the movie, he ran through the window and his face was all cut up. Then he went to jail and then he got all punched in the face and got his face busted up even more. So it cuts to Nick. And 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 by the way, like Nick is in the beginning of the movie and then you don't fucking see him until the very end. Okay? It's like you kind of forget 
you know, not you actually don't forget that he's around. He's just not in the movie, but he's kind of in the back of your mind because that's he's sort of the thing that's driving Connie to do all this illegal shit because he wants to save his brother, right? So all of a sudden, Nick reappears in the movie, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember Nick. And his face is all healed up, and he's now back in the office where that therapist guy was. And they take him to this class. And this class is this... It's 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 a class for mentally handicapped people. and But it's it's sort of like this... It's like this weird... I don't even want to say it's weird. It's like the class is sort of like, like them doing games and exercises where they're all socializing with each other. Which is good. That's a positive thing. And the credits roll over all of this. Cue the uh, Winotrix Point Never and Iggy Pop song. The Pure and the Damned. And then Fade to Black. The end. And that was Good Time. From Benny and Josh Safdie. A very good movie. I'm I am sold. I am a I am a Robert Pattinson fan now and I I look forward to seeing some of some of his other movies now. I'm looking forward to his Batman movie. That looks pretty good. You know, um, you got Paul Dano's in that. He's the Riddler. I was like that's pretty good casting. And you got uh Colin Farrell as the Penguin. <laughs> and Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. She's pretty. She's real pretty. I like Zoe Kravitz a lot. I mean, look at her parents. Jesus Christ. That's the fucking hottest family ever. Now I want to go back and watch a lot of the, uh, you know, go back and watch all the uh, other Robert Pattons and stuff that I have. Maybe not all of it. I definitely want to see the uh, David Cronenberg film that he did with, uh, with Robert Pattinson. It, it, I believe it's Cosm- Cosmopolis. I think that's the name of the movie. But that was quite a few years ago. And that was sort of like one of the first movies that Robert Pattinson did after Twilight. You know, and I was like, that's like that's a jump. You go from Twilight to doing a movie with David Cronenberg. That's that's pretty neat. So I want to go back and watch that, see what that's about and stuff. So but please check out Good Time. And check out any of the other Safety Brother uh, movies. Check out the uh, the uh, One Tricks Point Never Iggy Pop music video that the Safety Brothers directed. It's like really weird, but it's really cool. And yeah, that was good time. Ah, yes. And now I would like to move on to 2022's. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm going to conclude the the show with this, and I'm not going to do a massive deep dive. Maybe I'll do a commentary track on it because um, overall thoughts, this movie was not great. (laughs) 
I I would go to I, I'd go as far as to say this movie could be a whole lot better. I mean, I don't know what I expected in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. And for those of you who are not maybe the biggest horror movie fans, let me let me tell you that the original 1974, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is a perfect film. It's a perfect horror film. It's everything a horror movie should be. With, you know, in turn, and and it's and it's innovative. It had its own look, its own style, um, its own types of scares. And there's been a lot of remakes. There's been remakes, reboots, sequels, all varying in quality. And this is just another one to throw onto the pile. So, 2022's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by David Blue Garcia. I'm, um, look, I, the movie was okay. Like, I don't, I didn't think it was awful or unwatchable, but I did find it to be very mediocre and kind of cringy, but they did have its positives. You know, I'm just saying overall, I found it to be kind of mediocre and, I don't know. It's, it's nothing. I don't think I'm going to watch it again, but maybe I'll do a commentary track. I maybe I'm not promising anything, but I think it would make a good commentary track for this show. So, I will make note of that uh, possibly to do in the future, but I will, I will, let's start with positives. Okay. Before I turn on the fire hoses of diarrhea and spray this movie down and kick it down a ditch to fester in a crick for the rest of its days. Let me just point out some positives. Okay. Now, I, it's, it's one of those franchises like Halloween, like, like whatever, you know, it's one of the, one of the bigger horror franchises. Every time there's a new movie, people who are fans of the genre have some hesitation in watching it, but you're going to watch it, you know, now the story, the, it said that the original story was written by Fetty Alvarez. And Fetty Alvarez, I mean, he seems to have some really decent horror movie chops, you know? He directed the 2013 uh, Evil Dead remake, which I thought was really good. I thought that was great fucking horror movie. And I saw that opening night in theaters, and I was stoked to see that movie. I was like, wow. A loud, brutal, crazy fucking horror movie. Finally, so I was, I was, but I mean that was 2013. <laughs> that was a while. That was a while ago. Um, he did Don't Breathe. I liked Don't Breathe. I didn't like the sequel. I thought it was completely unnecessary and it was rather bad. 
But I thought the idea of Don't Breathe, the first one, was pretty cool. So, so when I heard Fetty Alvarez was uh, connected to it, I was like, oh, cool. But here's the thing is I'm also good at detecting red flags in trailers. And one of those things where the trailer comes up and it says, uh, you know, from the, from the people who brought you the evil dead and don't breathe. It's like, mm, they're trying to, they're trying to lend, <laughs> give the movie some credibility based on who's attached to it. But it's not like Fetty Alvarez even directed it. He didn't, he didn't even technically write it. He it said he wrote a story. So he probably wrote something down on a legal pad and hit and handed it to the director and was like, here, here you go. This is something I was thinking of. <laughs> and then, and I think I've covered this on a previous episode, the, the guy who actually wrote it, and um, I don't have all this information in front of me right now, but just going off my really bad spotty memory, I think the guy who actually ended up writing the script, that dude literally started working in movies in 2019. I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, so they just hand him this horror, this giant horror franchise here. I don't know if that's actually a positive, but that's the thing is when I saw the trailer at first, I was like, hmm, Fetty Alvarez attached. That's that could be cool. But I was also like cautious of that. Like, hmm, I think they're trying to hype the shit up maybe a little too much. But I thought. Hmm, I thought the the kills in the movie were pretty good. The, uh, you know, that's important in a horror movie. You got to have some gruesome deaths and when the uh, first death happens uh i was like surprised because you know you they're establishing the first like 15 20 minutes of the movie and then finally like leatherface snaps and f- starts fucking people up and it was another thing where leatherface was just some dude with a beard with long hair <laughs> like he was uh, i don't know it's not like he was Leatherface, he was sort of triggered to become Leatherface again. So, oh my God. Okay, Adam, stay with the positives. Stay with the positives. Okay. (laughs) So there were some, there were some like deaths in the movie that was like, oh, that's fairly well made. But it's sort of, it's another one of those things where like, computer-generated blood and gore and things like that. It just looks fake. It's like practical effects are just the way to go. And I just, I just, I I don't see why practical effects aren't utilized more. Like, whoever the accountant on some of these movies are, it's, they really need to... They really need to set aside some money to have a real practical effects budget. So that's always distracting to see like CG blood and CG bone snapping and shit like that. But I thought the kills for the most part were were fine. I, I liked how the movie sort of fucked with your expectations of who was going to live and who was going to die. Like, yeah, you, I basically... Like, I knew who the final girl was going to be at the end. 
But there is there was a chunk of the movie where maybe that might not happen. It might not go down that way, but oh, and and I liked the. It's basically the whole movie is a bunch of fucking transplant tech millennial hipster douchebags who moved to Austin, of course. And now they want to move out into this town that's, I think they said it's seven hours away from every, any major town. It's in this, this sort of forgotten about deserted little town in the middle of nowhere. There's like this group of hipster fucking influencer people who are basically going to go out into the town and buy the town. They're going to auction everything off in town, every building, and the people who buy up all these buildings are going to put shit in there, like yoga studios and coffee shops and shit like that, and basically revitalize this dead town called Harlow. That's sort of the sort of the base of the movie, and it's one of those things where these these city folk come into this tiny town and want to transform it, and it's at least gets you thinking about how like that's going on for real. That's going on in Austin, you know, and I'm not even from Austin. So may I might be part of the problem, but I don't think I am because I am not in the tech sector. I am not a millionaire. I'm just somebody who's moving where the jobs are, you know? So (laughs) also I think if I had some tech job, I wouldn't be nearly as, uh, fucked up or as interesting as I, as I am. I don't think I'd have this show, you know? So not that I think I'm particularly interesting or anything like that, but I know I wouldn't spend a majority of every week researching and doing this show. I'd probably be, I don't know, playing cornhole at some fucking Instagram bar drinking poorly made sugary drinks (laughs) but no i'm with you i'm sitting here with you we're just talking about the texas chainsaw massacre reboot together that's what i'd rather be doing anyways anyways uh i mean it it pointed out some sort of uh, i guess we can call it social commentary type of stuff like here here comes a bus full of uh (laughs) <laughs> this woke multicultural bus of fucking like uh, millennial Gen Z dickheads who are just gonna who have new money and they're just gonna fucking take over this town and because they think they want to get away from everything but they really don't they just want to transform this fucking Texas town into whatever coastal city they came from and of course the downside of that is. If you bring your politics with you, you'll just turn this quiet place into a fucking, a fucking ghetto like everywhere else, like New York and Chicago and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Oakland. It's just, it's a cycle that's going to fucking repeat itself. So it's kind of a bummer, (laughs) but Hey, you know what they, they, they do also make all the characters completely unlikable and despicable and Leatherface murders all of them. (laughs) So 
And the one girl that doesn't want to be there, it's like the main girl's sister who's sort of like schlubby and fucking just not interested in this whole like, let's buy a town and fucking. <laughs> oh, God. She's just completely uninterested in what's going on, but she tagged along with on this trip anyways. But all these, all these fucking people, they at least they all get murdered. So that's that's something satisfying to watch. I I'll say so. That that is a that is a huge positive. I will say. Um, in terms of negative stuff, mm, it's another one of those things where they they give you enough despicable characters to for Leatherface to fucking chop through, which is nice. But at the same time. The people that you're sort of rooting for, you don't want to root for them. There's nothing endearing or heroic or anything. Like the final girl is like, I don't know. I'm I'm not particularly want to be on her side or anything like that. And all the characters who I thought would be the most helpful in defeating Leatherface, they just are murdered. Like, there's this one small-town Texas dude who walks around with a gun, and he drives a big truck, and, you know, it's like, they, they try to establish him as, like, he's a yokel, but he's not, like, a bad guy. But according to these, like, these fucking city folk from whatever blue state they're from, like, this guy is, like, he's got a big truck, and he has to carry a gun, and... He must be compensating for his dick and all the shit. But he's just some dude. You know what I mean? Like, if you move to Texas or you visit Texas, you see those guys everywhere. Just some dude with a big truck who has a gun on him, but he's not fucking bothering anybody. He's minding his own business. And that's another thing that they establish in the beginning. They go to some gas station. They're getting gas, and this guy pulls up in his big truck, and he's pumping gas, and he's minding his own fucking business. And, of course, the main girl has to uh, point out his fucking, why you gotta have a big truck? Are you compensating for your fucking tiny deck? And why do you have to carry a gun? But it's all this shit, but it's all, it's, 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 it's at least in service of like when shit finally hits the fan and Leatherface starts fucking killing people. The only guy who's even sort of prepared is the one guy with a gun. So um, I think, um, the director had that in mind, and I commend him for that. Because, you know, it's it's like the old saying goes, you'd rather um, have a gun and not need it than need a gun and not have it, right? And if you don't think that, then pff, good luck. <laughs> good luck if any horrible thing happens to you. I, I really pray for you. <laughs> but yeah, the main character, uh, Melody... Who's not likable at all. <laughs> I, I don't recognize her from fucking anything. But she looks like... She looks like uh, that, that one chick from Broad City. Alana Glazer. That chick. She, they, she looks like they were trying to get Alana Glazer from Broad City... But she declined the part. 
So they dug this chick up because she kind of looks like her. That's what I, I'm pretty sure. I'm like 99% sure that that is what happened. She's sort of a, an Ilana Glazer type. So, um, she's just completely unlikable and, and, and not interesting at all. And I mean, and they even made Leatherface completely. I don't know how you make Leatherface not interesting. (laughs) It's like, it's like they completely kind of fucked that up. And, uh, I mean, there was a few people, there was a few people that I recognized in this. There was, um, this old woman who was like a caretaker for uh, there was like this orphanage. It was sort of the, one of the last businesses that existed in this tiny town. There was an orphanage ran by this woman played by um, Alice Krieg. It might be Kriggy. I think it's Alice Krieg. She was the, um, whatchamacallit, she was the board queen in Star Trek First Contact. Yeah, her. And <laughs> And uh, she was a bunch of, oh my God, was she in, what was it? Uh, she was the, uh, she was the witch in Gretel and Hansel 2020, if you saw that. So she's kind of, she basically ran this orphanage and the last boy that she was caring for was Leatherface. And, you know, all, all these all these fucking, uh, all these city folk come into town, these Instagram influencers come in and they basically buy up the town and basically drive her out of her home. She doesn't have anything. It's not like it's a working orphanage anymore. It's just her and Leatherface living in this fucking abandoned house. So it's, so they basically drive her out and the whole, the whole fucking thing is, if you look at the trailer, it looks like they were trying to do a Halloween 2018 type of situation where, and if you haven't seen Halloween 2018, I actually do a commentary track for it on this. Um, uh, I did on this show. So if you ever want to watch the, actually it wasn't 2018. That was a better movie. I did Halloween kills and that came out. Uh, that was the sequel to the 2018 one and Halloween kills was pretty fucking bad. <laughs> but uh, the kills were cool, though. I mean, <laughs> that's that's about it. All it had that that's all that was going on with that. But basically, what they did for uh, the Halloween eight, 2018, uh, oh God, kind of soft reboot, whatever you want to call it, is they had they basically were the 2018 movie was a direct sequel to Halloween one. So. All the movies in between are just like not in the storyline. So it goes Halloween and then boom, jumps to Halloween 2018. So that's sort of what they did with this movie where at least in the trailer it suggested that, okay, the events of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre took place in 74 in the first movie. And then we jump forward to 2022 when this movie takes place. Now, the issue with that, and there's a bunch of issues, but the issue with that is there's a scene where the uh, Alana Glazer-looking girl goes in, 
her character's name is Melody. Melody goes into the orphanage, like just strolls into someone's fucking house. All these characters just come off as entitled douchebags. Like you're, you're definitely glad when they all get killed. <laughs> by the way, she gets her head sawed off by Leatherface at the end. Sorry, spoilers. And that was probably one of the best kills in the movie. So at least the movie ended uh, on a happy note with me clapping my hands like a baby. Uh, but there's a scene where she's walking into the house and she sees this photo that was like, it looked like a kind of a elementary school class photo of all the children who were in that orphanage. And in the picture, I believe it said 1975. And the children look like they sort of varied in age, but Leatherface was sort of like standing way in the back and like his face is sort of obscured. Like someone scratched out his face, but just looking at his body type, you're like, okay, well that's a child. That's a kid. That's not the full grown man of Leatherface from 74 and 74. It was a full fucking gun. The guy who played him, Gunnar Hansen was a grown fucking man. He was a giant dude. And when you, so when they look at photos from this movie, like Leatherface was a kid in, in 1975, which, so this movie doesn't, is not even trying to be a like companion piece or like a, a direct sequel to the first movie. It's sort of, it's detached. They created their own timeline. It's like trying to keep track of the fucking Terminator movies. It's impossible. So, you know, I, I thought that that was lazy. <laughs> that was completely lazy. Um, oh, you know what? Here's another positive. In the beginning, they did just like, you know, in like the original Texas Chainsaw, there's like uh, narration where it's like, you know, there's there's a narrator. You know, they called it. It was the it was the most devastating, murderous day in American history, and they called it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So that guy, that's John Larroquette, who we all know from Night Court. Um, he was also in uh, what was it? I think he was in what was it? Was it Porky's or Meatballs too? It was it was one of it was one of the, I think it was Porky's too. I don't know. One of those fucking movies. Anyways, <laughs> John Larroquette did the original narration for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I think I sounded like they got him back to do this one too. So I was like, oh, that's a nice touch. I like that. I recognize his voice. But they also, um, one thing I thought was, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of have mixed feelings about it. Like, the whole thing is like Leatherface just murders all of these fucking bust in fucking Instagram influencers that are just going to like throw some money around and buy out this little town. And they sort of shoehorn in the fact that, uh, the character of Sally Hardesty from who was the, the last girl, this last surviving girl from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, Spoilers if you haven't seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but one girl's left alive and she manages to make it to the road outside of the fucking Leatherface house and is able to flag down a truck driver, some dude just driving by and jumps in the back of his truck and fucking drives away. 
and it's like this classic end to the fucking movie and she's covered in blood and hysterical and just barely got away with her life. So, and the whole thing is they want to bring back, uh, <clears throat> they wanted to bring back the Sally Hardesty character as like this 70 year old. <laughs> We're going to bring back this old woman. Who's like, like a, a total hard ass now who's get a fucking, like she's been waiting for Leatherface to come back so she can fucking kill him sort of thing. Like she's the only one who can fucking hunt down and kill Leatherface. And I don't know. I I thought it was, I thought it was kind of fucking stupid to be honest, like that whole idea because she's completely ineffective and Leatherface ends up killing her also. And, uh, but the woman who played her, uh, she was in the movie Mandy, which I do recommend very much. So the 2018 film Mandy, you know what? Here you go. Here's a, uh, an Adam double feature recommendation for you. Ready? Watch the 2018 film Mandy starring Nicolas Cage and watch the 2018, uh, Halloween reboot remake thing. Yeah, that's that's a good night of horror films. From then they're both from 2018. Anyway, there's a bunch of inconsistencies in the movie if you're a fan of the genre at all, which for God's sakes people, like the fans want to be on your side. I want to be on your side, but it's like if you don't know the basic fucking story to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and its lore and its, you know, it's like if you don't, if you can't follow that, it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? You're just, if you're going to completely rewrite history, go big. You know what I mean? Like, like Rob Zombie's Halloween, Halloween 2. And. I'm a Rob Zombie fan. I like Rob Zam- Zombie movies. I like Rob Zombie. Um, his music's okay. <laughs> but, but I like his movies. I think he's a good director. And if you've ever seen him do interviews, like, if you're just driving and you're in, well, first of all, if you, for some reason, you have to drive or commute any long distances, whether by train or car or whatever, first of all, you listen to the Skeleton Factory podcast. That's That's a given. But also, if you can find any interviews with Rob Zombie, he's fucking fascinating to listen to. He's a fucking encyclopedia of movies. He's got his own perspectives on shit, and he's got tons of cool stories. So, but at least when he made those Halloween movies, he wasn't going to do, he was going to do his version. He wanted to do something different. And people may not like those movies, and, like, I get it, you don't, fucking like Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. That's fine. But at least he fucking tried to do something different. Like he tried to put his own fucking stamp on it. But movies like this Texas Chainsaw Massacre fucking sequel, pseudo sequel, I just don't get it. It's the timeline I guess I could kind of understand because 
Otherwise, you have like an 80-year-old fucking Leatherface running around trying to kill people, which makes no sense. You know, but could you imagine Joe Biden wearing someone's face running around trying to kill you with a chainsaw? It's just he doesn't have the physical stamina. He doesn't have the imposing physical might to uh, massacre an entire town. That was a good comparison, Adam. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anyways, uh I mean, at least the at least this movie was uh I think it was less than it was around 80 minutes. So <laughs> it wasn't too terribly long. But also, it was one of those things where I think they filmed this in fucking Bulgaria or some shit. And it's it's like it's supposed to be this abandoned town. Now, if you've never been in the middle of nowhere, in some like middle of nowhere fucking town, it's dark. It's fucking dark. Okay, and not just like Texas towns or somewhere in the Midwest. Like, go to Vegas if you've ever stayed off, like way off the Vegas Strip, where there's not even houses or fucking gas stations and shit. It's just complete pitch black darkness okay and this movie no matter where they went whether it was in most of the movies at night it's like indoors outdoors i don't want to say most of the movies at night but a good chunk of it's night. so basically when it gets dark every every house room build everything is brightly lit no matter where they are. And I get it. It's a movie. Like you have to be able to see what's going on, but everything is so brightly lit. It kind of took me out of the fucking movie. You know what I mean? Like what, like why are there street lights on in a town? No one lives in that made no fucking sense to me. Like in the background, you can see like a run down movie theater that probably no one's been inside of for decades, but yet it's like neon sign is on. It's like who fucking turned that sign on? Okay, like street lights and fucking neon signs to businesses are not on the same. <laughs> like, like when the city turns on the fucking street lights, like businesses don't turn on as well. It doesn't fucking work that way. So that was I found that to be distracting. Everything was every. This movie looks like a TV show. It didn't look like a movie. <laughs> so. Yeah, also this whole thing where it's like Leatherface hasn't been compelled to fucking kill anybody since the 70s and now the switch gets flipped and now he wants to fucking murder everyone. I just, I don't know, man. That's fucking lame. It's like, has, is, like anyone, like, it's like if you have ever watched any fucking serial killer documentary or movie or read a, anything about serial killers, it's like, they, yes, they take breaks in between murders because you can't murder every single day. But like 40 plus years, like you go, you're like on a murdering rampage and then you just stop for 40 years and then like you just kind of pick it back up when you're like a geriatric. That's like, I don't think so, man. But another thing too is like there's this scene. Oh, God. Okay. This scene's the worst. 
actually, this scene alone got the idea in my head. I'm like, I should do a commentary about this because this is bad. Okay, so the uh, the Melody character, the 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 fake Alana Glazer. Okay, there's a scene where she runs upstairs and she's hiding from Leatherface. She's so she goes underneath the like a bed in a bedroom. Okay, and, and the fucking gap. Because you see her like curled up underneath the fucking bed, like hiding, but it's like the bed is like two and a half fucking feet off the ground. So this the shot of the the camera looking at her hiding under the bed. There's a f- the fucking gap of, is ridiculous. It's like no one's bed's that fucking high, you know. You could tell they just needed a big enough space to just film her under the bed, because if you crawl under a bed, like your belly down and you're getting as flat as possible. Cause that's how beds are. There's not enough fucking space to slide a fucking microwave under this, you know, anyways. Um, okay. So that scene, uh, she's hiding under the bed and Leatherface comes in and he's got like a, he's got like a sledgehammer. And at this point he's all fucking activated and ready to fucking kill again. So, um, he just got done skinning his mom's face, the the lady from Mandy. He fucking skinned off her face and is wearing her face now. And it's just like you don't see him attach it with like a like a strip of leather or skin or a rope or anything. He just literally like peeled off a face and laid it on his face and he's just walking around. It's not falling off. I was like, well that that doesn't make any sense. But this the bedroom scene, he takes a sledgehammer and Starts sledgehammering a hole in the wall. So the the way the so basically the way the camera's uh, positioned is it's looking at the girl under the bed, okay, and the bed is right next to the bedroom door on one side of the room. Leatherface is behind her, facing away from her, sledgehammering the wall. And then you find out that that's where he kept his shotgun, uh, shotgun, his chainsaw. That's like why he was knocking a fucking hole in the wall. He wanted to get to his fucking chainsaw so he can fucking kill. But it's like one of those things where it's like, why hide the chainsaw? Also, why hide it in the wall? It's like you hit a chainsaw in the wall and then what? Just fucking rehung sheetrock and fucking spackled everything and painted over it. Is that what you're telling me? Are you telling me fucking 12-year-old Leatherface, after going on a fucking murder rampage, hid his fucking chainsaw in the wall of this orphanage and then fucking patched the fucking wall up and went on with his life? It's like, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. So he's basically, it's this whole thing where you can see that he's on the other side of the room trying to knock through the wall and the melody girl is in the foreground on the opposite side of the room under the bed. But there's this whole thing where you see her under the bed and you see the springs of the bed kind of compressing down on her, suggesting that Leatherface has to stand on the bed to get and reach through the hole that he made to get to his chainsaw. That doesn't that would make sense if the hole was like behind the headboard of uh, against the wall where 
but it wasn't. It's not. He was on the other side of the fucking room. He there. He couldn't even reach the bed to get into the hole. It didn't make sense. So I. And there's a bunch of little things like that in the movie where I'm just like, okay, I think they've probably filmed some different angle shit and they just kind of cobbled the two things together and thought no one would notice. Um, the ending credits have a weird thing like that where it'll, it'll like, end like, you know, before they have just the long strip of tiny texts, uh, credits kind of, you know, going down the screen like a typical end of a fucking movie. Um, they just did, like, the main credits, like, written by Fetty Alvarez, directed by fucking this dude, starring blah, 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 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They would show one, they would show, like, like, story by Fetty Alvarez, and it would be, like, this really big font against a black background. But then they would show the exact same thing again in tiny background, except this time it would be across like a still shot of, I don't know, like like uh, Leatherface's chainsaw sitting on a table or, you know, it's like they they did multiple versions of the end credits. And instead of just picking one, be like, should we do the big font or the little font? Someone was like, just do both. So you see the credits, you see every credit twice and it doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't know if they did that to like pad the runtime or something. I have no idea why that was done, but it's a, it was a weird choice, but yes. Um, also the, um, I'm trying to pull the, the race card, (laughs) They definitely try to play the race card in this fucking movie. And it's like, look, it's 2022. There's all these young professionals of uh, this mul- this multicultural basket of young, uh, wealthy people coming to town to fucking basically buy up a town for their own. It's It's like... The race card doesn't play in this. Okay, it's 2022. And I don't I don't know if I have to, I guess I have to be the only one to explain this to people like um what like racism in general is mostly eradicated. Like the worst kind of racism that is. I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist because racism obviously exists. But the like cartoonish Ku Klux Klan fucking idea of racism it's like that shit is that shit is gone like there's there's that's not a imposing force in america or anywhere else for that matter it's just not because there's this whole scene where outside the orphanage there was this tattered old confederate flag waving outside of the orphanage and the main guy um his name is okay. So he's his name is Dante, but I don't think that they told the other actresses what his name was because he gets called like De Dante, De Donye, like every no one knows his name for some reason. Like I don't know. That was that was a weird little detail that bothered me. Anyways, the main character Dante is this black dude, this young black dude. He's kind of the idealistic guy who wants to turn this whole little town into 
a fucking Instagram fucking photo op uh, wet dream. But I guess before all of the main investors were coming into town because they all got bust in, um, he sees this Confederate flag waving outside this old building. He's like, we got to take that down. Otherwise, no one's going to want to buy anything here, which is a fucking preposterous notion. But it's this thing where he's like, we got to take that fucking Confederate flag down. They're making this whole thing about, oh, well, it's it's Texas, so we have to somehow eradicate the racism that's here. It's like, for God's sakes, people, do we have to fucking play the goddamn race card for everything? It's stupid, and it's tired. It's like, watch the third Texas Chainsaw Massacre starring Ken Forey, who is a black man. Okay, He's a horror movie icon at this point. He was in the original Dawn of the Dead. He was in a bunch of Rob Zombie movies, and he was in Leatherface, his Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I, I like that movie. It's flawed, obviously, but I like that movie. And they didn't make it a thing where it's like, like fucking tobacco chewing fucking rednecks are like, hey boy, you're in you're in the wrong part of the fucking south, boy, and all they didn't play that shit. Like Ken Forty was just a fucking guy who got caught up in this fucking the madness of this cannibal family who were killing people with chainsaws. Like it it wasn't even an issue that he was black. It didn't matter. So and that movie was a long fucking time ago. That was like, what, 1990? Something like that? That was a fucking long time ago. So the fact that that we got a fucking... <laughs> we, 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 we must have some sort of racial tension. Okay, like... The, the, the smart woke people have to fucking... Uh, rewrite fucking the world. It's like, can we just leave that out of fucking movies, please? Because who fucking cares? It's, you know, it's, ugh, it's gross. I can go on and on and on about this fucking movie. <laughs> but for the most part, um, I didn't like the story. I didn't really like any of the actors. Even the ones that we were supposed to be rooting for, I didn't, I didn't like uh, the Sally Hardesty fucking elderly version of her that's supposed to come back and fucking... Like, they try to make it look like she's, like, been hunting tremors in the desert her whole life or some shit. It's, I don't know. And now she's going to come back and fucking take revenge on Leatherface. It's like, oh, please. And all the other characters were basically basically there just to be murdered. So, I mean, I've already said that. That's a positive. Because you got to establish. I'm a big, like, Friday 13th Part 5, The New Beginning um, fan. And most of the movie is filled with despicable characters who are set up for, like, a minute. And then a minute later, Jason Voorhees comes and just murders them. <laughs> They're there just to have a nice high body count. That's the only reason. So, I mean, I do like that. But I didn't really like anyone in the fucking movie. The story was lame. Like, elderly Leatherface. I'm just like... Uh, I'm not into elderly Leatherface. Like, they could have made this movie, they could have set this movie in, like, the 80s or something. Okay, you can have Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974, and then, like, do fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1984 or 1982, you know? 
and in that small town, there's uh there's that movie theater. Remember, there's the fucking movie theater, and like the thing could be playing or something, something cool like that, or fucking do it. Uh, four years later, do it 1978 when Halloween comes out or something, you know, and have that sort of in the background, you know, like that, like something like that would be cool. Cause it's, if you're killing people with a fucking chainsaw, you got to do it in your prime. Also fucking Leatherface got his fucking leg all chopped up at the end of the first movie. So it's not like he's galloping at a full sprint, you know, even when he was young. So, oh God. Anyways, I don't recommend uh, this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I mean, I do recommend it in if you want to uh, riff on it, like you want to go Mystery Science Theater uh, style and just bash it, go ahead, because there's a lot there to bash. But, you know, it's not a total hate fest. Like, you know, when people, when the when the murders happen, you know, they're exciting to some degree. They don't look particularly real or anything like that, but they're very splashy and gory and, you know, that I had to take something. I had to get something out of this fucking movie. So I just kind of lean, lean on uh, how good were the kills. Yeah, it's kind of like the Halloween kills. There was no story there and I really didn't give a shit about any of the characters, but they had decent kills in it. So that's something. Um, uh, anyways... Let me take a look at the ratings for for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Uh, as of right now, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 30% on the tomato meter with 82 reviews. And the audience score is 40% with 250 plus, uh, I guess, people who rated that. So across the board, it doesn't look like people are big fans of this. Let's see. IMDb, it has a 5.2 out of 10. Let's see. Yeah, and that's about right. You know, it's incredibly average, and but it's below average. So I just want to bring that up because... I watch a lot of movies for this show and sometimes you just, you watch some stuff that sucks <laughs> and you want to vent about it because, you know, it did take up 81 minutes of, of my evening. So I should, uh, at least say my piece. I went to the trouble to watch the fucking thing. So this episode is going to be broken up into two parts think that's the best thing to do. And in part two of this episode, I'm going to cover uh, Mikhail's Hanukkah's cachet. He is the director of Funny Games and the remake of Funny Games. <laughs> He's also uh, the director of Benny's Video a movie I'm a very big fan of, and I covered on the, I believe, the first episode of Skeleton Factory, if I'm not mistaken. But yes, this is going to be part one of two. So 
part two should be up in a couple days. And I will check you all on that one. I got a bunch of fucking shit lined up uh, for uh, new episodes. And I'm going to go ahead and get to them. So I'm going to get out of here, guys. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Please check out Good Time by the Safdie Brothers. It's really good. And check out anything else they've made because all their movies are pretty damn good. I like how they do things. And if you want to take out, uh, check out the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022, um, do at your own peril. <laughs> I I think there's uh, there's a lot better remakes than um, than this particular one. You can uh, keep track of me on Instagram. I'm at skeleton underscore factory, and I will uh, be posting updates on upcoming shows and. Things like that. And if you need to get a hold of me, get a hold of me on Instagram. And again, that's at skeleton underscore factory. This is Adam. And I am here to rescue your movie night one movie at a time. See you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>